The Chet Kavik Podcast Network. Welcome to Sports Cars, a podcast where Chicago sports broadcasting pioneer and a national legal expert get into the legal goings of sports. And now your hosts, Chet Kavik and Lester Munson. Ah, uh, you're darn right. We have a bundle of topicality. How are you doing, everybody? I'm Chad Kopic, along with uh, ESPN legal expert Lester Munson. Lester, right off the top, uh, I'll tell you point blank, I hate, put it in bold type, aluminum bats. I can't stand aluminum bats. On the Little League level, on the uh, high school level, the college level, uh, whatever you're talking about, there's a case that just transpired in Montana. Tell me, number one, if you're a Louisville slugger, how badly frightened you are by the results of this case. This is a rare case in which Hillerich and Bradsby, the Louisville Slugger Company, has actually lost a case. They lost it big, a jury in Helena, Montana. This is a jury of farmers who are very thrifty with their money. They awarded the family of a young pitcher $850,000 because his lawyers were able to show that the ball flies off the aluminum bat so fast that he had no chance as the pitcher... 60 feet away to get a glove or anything up in front of his face. The ball hit him square in the middle of his head. It was hit so hard it ricocheted 50 feet into foul territory from the pitcher's mound. He he had a subdural hematoma, a bruise on his brain, and he died. Now, normally when I think about Congress or the Senate with a committee to investigate when it comes to sports, I think about grandstanding. But... How long, in your opinion, will it take for some congressional committee to be formed to investigate and determine whether or not aluminum bats should be allowed at any level of competitive baseball? If the, if the people on Capitol Hill want to do something in the world of sports, this is where they should go. They can have hearings on steroid drugs, and they can talk about this stuff ad nauseum. But here is where they can make a contribution, and they can protect particularly young people playing baseball. I'm not sure it applies to softball, girls softball, but it certainly applies to baseball, and it's something they should look into. There are now building up in this country a certain number of these lawsuits. When they reach a critical mass, then the Congress will act. It'd be nice if they acted before that. Now, Lester, in the great scheme of life, if you're a Louisville slugger, this is going to happen again. Might not involve a death, but suppose you're in Chicago, for example, and little Tommy, who's playing over in the Wells Park Little League, uh, gets nailed and suffers a broken collarbone and uh, a broken shoulder because some young man uh, drives the ball off an aluminum bat and the parents go to court. How does Louisville Slugger defend itself with the precedent having already been set in Montana? What Louisville Slugger does is they delay and they stall and they torment the lawyers representing these families. They just try to stall them off. They try to make it so difficult and so expensive for the family's lawyers that they will somehow abandon the case. That's not going to happen. There are now a group of lawyers in the United States. The leader is a guy in Oklahoma City by the name of Joseph White. They are seriously in pursuit of Louisville Slugger and the other manufacturers on aluminum bats. It's the way the tobacco litigation started 12 or 14 years ago, and I can see it coming now in aluminum bats. It's going to take a while, but they're going to get there. Lester, um, I want you to stand back for a moment. I want to change gears. Your commissioner, Roger Goodell of the National Football League, your Gene Washington, charms of 
You're the man who's uh, in charge of uh, doling out uh, punishment. As we speak right now, we don't know what kind of a fine or uh, penalty has been handed out by the NFL for uh, Tommy Harris and that ridiculous punch he threw at uh, an Arizona Cardinal this past Sunday. If you were Goodell in Washington, what would you issue? I'm thinking that's a $50,000 fine and probably, uh, I would say, three- or four-game suspension. You cannot allow that kind of thing to happen on the field. This is a punch that was as mindless and as stupid as anything you can imagine. It was done out in the open by a player who had no apparent provocation that we know of or certainly not enough to do anything like that. The referee knew what to do, got him off the field immediately. Now it's up to Washington and Goodell to try to figure out the right thing. If I were at Ted Phillips and the Chicago Bears, and I'm looking at Harris's past history, suspensions, I didn't take him over to uh, Cincinnati because he wasn't practicing. If I wanted to arbitrarily shut down the contract of Tommy Harris, declare that he's in, uh, in breach of his contract with my ball club, would I have a leg to stand on? You would have an argument. Uh, you would certainly draw a grievance from the players' union. They are obligated to represent Harris in that situation. They would file the grievance. And I would think you have maybe a 30 or 40% chance the Bears would have that much of a chance of winning the grievance. Uh, chances are, once it was started, it would settle, and they would make a deal with Harris for him to leave the team, take a certain amount of money, and everybody would go away. You know, Lester, what I don't get about all this is the simplicity of it all. Here are the McCaskies, perpetually bum-wrapped, living off the legacy of their grandfather, the Papa Bear, George S. Hallis. Here was their golden moment to stand up and say, we believe in the, uh, the goodness of the game, the purity of the game. Tommy Harris will not play in San Francisco. What do the McCaskies do? Gather up in Lake Forest and hide and hope that absolutely nobody can find them. Yeah, I, it, it, only the McCaskies could do this. It, it, it is amazing how. Can, can you, George Hallis, would he put up with this? I can't no, imagine oh God, that he no. would. No, not for Hallis a moment. Would be furious. Yeah, he would be furious. He would not only release the guy from the team, he would make sure that nobody else signed him. He, he had that kind yeah. of authority and that kind of presence. Now we have the third generation, and just like you say, Chet, they're hiding. They're trying to. They they hope it's going to go away. I don't think it's going to go away, but that that's that's the best they can come up with. Yeah, but, you know, Lester, we're now looking at uh, a league, and we're looking at uh, uh, a time in society where here's Larry Johnson, pretty darn good running back in his prime with the Kansas City Chiefs, soft numbers this year running behind a miserable offensive line, uh, bounced by the ball club for uh, uh, bum-wrapping the coach and uh, using uh, uh, gay expressions on Twitter. And who who goes on Twitter and sends out, you know, uh, attacks on, on gay people, for heaven's sakes? Haven't you got more time? Uh, you know, haven't you got something to do with your time, for heaven's yeah. sakes? But, I mean, the fact is, here is a league that should stand back. 32 clubs is one and say, Larry Johnson is gone. He won't yeah. play for any of us. There are seven, eight ball clubs right now knocking on Johnson's door. It, it is amazing uh, how a guy like that uh, can end up with teams still interested in him. Uh, you wonder what goes through the minds of the general managers, what goes through the minds of the owners. Doesn't an owner say to the general manager, how about getting me a good citizen here? What, why do I need this guy? Why do I have to go around and every dinner I go to and every party I go to, I have to explain why we signed the immortal Larry Johnson? I mean, I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. It, it. it is. You're right. It's so simple 
and yet so many people swing and miss and can't get it right. All right, if anybody was ever overdue for a win, it's Michael Vick. If anybody <laughs> was ever overdue for some kind of a bright spot, it's Michael Vick. He's going to retain $16 million bucks in bonus money from the Atlanta Falcons, while Arthur Blank, you know, is just absolutely seething. I mean, probably seeing triple right now. My question is, how long will it take for Vic's collection of leeches to chew up the entire $16 million? It's probably gone already. Um, but he and the union did win a very nice case uh, at the Court of Appeals in St. Louis. For some reason, the National Football League thought it could somehow persuade judges to make Vic give money back. It's money that he had earned. It's money that he had been paid. If, if you look at the language in the contract, which I did seven or eight months ago, there's no question that it's Vic's money. It would be like ESPN saying to me, you know, we paid you X dollars in May of 2007. How about if you just give it back to us because we don't like you anymore? I mean, that, that's what they're saying. That sounds and to me like a hell of an idea. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I didn't make that much in May of 2007. If I had to give it back, I'm not sure it would be a hardship. But the, the, they never, the Falcons never should have tried to get this money back. It, it's another humiliation for Arthur Blank. It was bad enough he made that deal to pay him $29 million in bonuses. Now it's a double embarrassment for a guy who is supposed to be one of America's great business minds. At what point does the National Football League have to uh, stand back, much uh, as was the case with the New York Giants when uh, Pete Rozelle was commissioner back in the late 1970s, and look at the franchise and look at the inner family dissension and say, this has become such an embarrassment, we have to do something. The Detroit Lions are 1-7. Yeah. They, they, they win a ball game about as often as a Republican wins a mayoral contest in Chicago. <laughs> I mean, at what point does Roger Goodell have to step in and say, we will determine who will run your ball club? I think if it had been some other family, a lesser family than the Ford family, somebody would have done something. Tagliabue, I think, would have entered into it if it had been somebody else. But it is the Ford family. Until recently, the auto industry was a bulwark of the American economy. Mm-hmm. Even now, Ford Motor Company is doing better than the other American manu- car manufacturers. I, I think because it's the Fords, because it's one of the original, you know, going back, almost an original team, that's the reason they're not doing something. But but you would think just on on you know, hidden away somewhere, Goodell or somebody would try to intervene with that management. So, uh, Lester, out in Southern California, we had the continued 15-round uh, <laughs> fight between uh, Frank McCourt, the man in charge of the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers, and his um, lovely wife, Jamie. And uh, this is really, in my opinion, just hysterically funny. Uh, Jamie, 55 years old, uh, said to have had a major affair with uh, uh, Jeff Fuller, her her, her bodyguard, why, why does the owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers need a bodyguard right. and, and her driver? And uh, Jamie says, and I quote, I want my kids to look back and say, she took the high road. <laughs> who, who is going to believe this broad yeah. when she says, right. I want my kids to think I took the high road? <laughs> There's nobody taking the high road in this one. Uh, Frank fired his own wife as CEO of the Dodgers. <laughs> Why would he do that? The Dodgers are paying her. She's getting all this money. Now that she has no job, he, as the husband, is going to have to support her with some alimony. I mean, you talk about shooting yourself in the foot. And then how how can she possibly say this? 
to a reporter who is there with his tape recorder taking notes on this. The high road. It'll become a joke that will last for the entire divorce. How long do you see this going? I mean, I, I can see this being a court battle that will go on for three, four, five years. It could easily go three or four or five years. Uh, divorce litigation in California is a very finely tuned industry. The lawyers there know how to make sure that when the divorce is over, there's no money left for ever, anybody and the money has gone to the lawyers. <laughs> These are the best lawyers at billing the client in the entire planet, the, the Los Angeles divorce lawyers. I've been talking to some of them about this case. They all can't wait to get into this case and figure out a way to make a nickel. They're, It'll go on. It's a five-year deal for sure. I don't know about you, Lester, but every time I think about uh, attorneys in Southern California, I find myself thinking about Marsha Clark fumbling oh. as she was tackled by Johnny Cochran in the O.J. Simpson case. Mar- Marsha Clark, the, the the poor woman, she was out of her league in that case. There was another guy, Bill Hartman. He was supposed to try the case. He had a heart incident of some type. He just couldn't handle it. And then... Uh, when the Kobe Bryant case comes along, we have in Eagle, Colorado, Marsha Clark as the commentator <laughs> on how well or poorly the prosecution is doing. <laughs> I, I burst out laughing a couple of times as she was taping in the tent next to us. I, I couldn't believe it. And, and, and somebody, some network somewhere, was taking that stuff and putting it out on the airways. Look at the National Hockey League. Too many clubs... They're on Versus television. I can't get Versus. Then again, when I could get Versus, I couldn't find the number. <laughs> um, I mean, that being said, Gary Bettman, at what point does the NHL stand back and say, you know what, uh, this guy is no immediate threat to Pete Rozelle. We, 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 we have a lemon, and the fact is, if we're, if we're going to be an accepted member of the Big Four, as truly a major league entity, we got to unload Bettman. I think owners have been thinking about that. I think there were some owners who came close to doing that during the lockout in which Bettman managed to lead his owners into the loss of an entire season. If the union, if the players' union right now had any kind of leadership, if they had any level of solidarity as players among themselves, I think then the owners would be looking hard at Gary Bettman. But when the union is in total disarray, when they fire what was probably the best executive director they ever had for no reason whatsoever, Mm. then the players are vulnerable. Uh, I think probably my eight-year-old grandson could handle the next collective bargaining with that union. It's in such a mess. You know, Lester, this is why I see John McDonough leaving the Chicago Blackhawks sooner rather than later. John's a very bright guy. The arena is filled. The franchise has been rebuilt uh, on the ice. But John's a very smart guy. He knows he can only go so far with the Blackhawks because the league is such a massive albatross, which is why McDonough will be looking and will listen long and hard to an NFL team, a Major League Baseball team, somewhere down the road because I think John understands there, there is a limit as to how far I can take myself with the National Hockey League. I think he certainly, what he has done so quickly 
almost overnight with the Blackhawks is one of the great miracles of marketing in the history of sports. There's no question about it. And the moment McDonough walks in the room, somehow good things start to happen. Everybody performs at their highest level. He's one of those guys. And and if, if suddenly somebody gave me a team and I was the owner, the first call I, I would make would be to John McDonough. No, the first guy I'd call would be Crane Kenny. And bring me the Greek priest, too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How wonderful. Yes. He is Lester Munson. I'm Chad Kopic. This is Sports Court. Don't forget, we're back in uh, seven days with more fun and games and insights that you simply do not get anywhere else. Take care, everybody.